Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we have conversations about improvisation with remarkable artists. I'm the host, Daniel Burkholder, a dance artist based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm truly excited to share with you today's conversation with Sharna Fabiano. I have known Sharna since we both lived in Washington, D.C. area, but this is true. This is like the first time we've really sat down and talked about improvisation, our artistic practices, and kind of how that all translates into our lives. Yeah. So a little bit about Sharna. Sharna Fabiano is an Argentine tango dancer turned professional development coach and author of Lead and Follow, The Dance of Inspired Teamwork. After teaching and performing dance for nearly 20 years, she now designs experiential team development programs for organizations and coaches individuals through a wide range of career challenges. Her improvisational practice currently takes shape most often in her home painting studio in Long Beach, California. Well, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Enjoy. Well, hi, Sharna. Thank you so much for joining me on the Act React podcast. You are so welcome. It is an honor and pleasure to be here. Yeah, as we kind of were just talking about a moment ago, just we've kind of known each other, known of each other for quite a while, but we've never had real time to really kind of dig in and have kind of extensive conversations. So I'm excited um, that maybe this will be the first of many conversations we're able to have. Likewise, I feel the same way. It's one of these sort of secret surprises of our, our pandemic era to yeah. get to make these wonderful unexpected uh, connections. Yeah, great. So uh, this is the question I, I, or a variation of the question I always start with is just like, how does improvisation show up, manifest itself in your life these days? You know, I think right now it's manifesting itself the most in my visual art practice. I, you know, as you know, started out as, as a dancer, but um, particularly spending so much time at home, I, I really use that time to to bring myself into the present and to, you know, to kind of put into practice all those um, wonderful life-giving principles of improvisation, you know, that I think feed us. Yeah. So how does that, so just, just kind of dig in that for a moment, how does that kind of actually play out in in your practice like when you get when you sit down or go into your space to do that practice what happens what does that look like for you sure i want to give a quick shout out to my painting teacher flora boli in portland oregon who is the really master of teaching this sort of method uh, she calls brave intuitive painting and i learned a lot about how to translate my dance improvisation skills into visual art from her so for me what that looks like is First of all, you know, I think a lot of creatives will relate to the hesitance of like moving out of your everyday life into, you know, into the improvisation space. So first it's just like really schedule myself time to go there. And I, um, I focus on getting there, right. Which I think is for me, like the first, uh, experience of improvisation that's important to me is I just be there, you know, just like put myself in the studio and I don't attached to what I'm going to do there necessarily, or, you know, even like what kind of materials or projects I'm going to work on. I just focus on my commitment to being there in that space in my house. Um, and that, you know, that itself is powerful for me because it moves me out of the normal way of thinking of like, okay, to-do list and like now what's happening tomorrow and planning. 
Um, so I just show up there in my space and, you know, I have all my tools there, my paints and my pencils and my paper and my canvases. And um, it's important for me not to be attached to the outcome because that starts me like worrying. And, you know, I just, it's not the kind of frame I want to be in. Yeah. So I, I go there and I, you know, it sounds funny to say, but I just like commit to being in the studio for a period of time um, and then to see what happens. And, you know, once I'm there, then things happen. And then I think for me, what I describe as the improvisational approach to uh, visual art is to start with something simple that I'm interested in, like I'm really drawn right now to working with these watercolor pencils and you know, the effect that they have on the paper when you sort of blur them with water. I'm like, okay, I'm really attracted to that mm -hmm. uh, effect. And so let me just start by exploring that. Um, and then from that, once I take that one step then I get to react to what happened. Okay, I see how it's um, flowing, how the marks are feeling and spreading on the paper. Then maybe I will do something else like take a graphite pencil or maybe I'll draw you know, some shapes, or maybe I'll combine that with some acrylics, like I like working with mixed media. Yeah. So I really do like one thing at a time. And I find that is what brings me into that present moment state of improvising and not knowing what's coming, but discovering what's coming. And then just constantly getting to um, respond to the step before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's really interesting. I kind of relate to the idea of like, you know, you're, you're making something, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have something that you've made. And at some point you'll end and you'll be able to say, oh, I'm done with this. Yeah. In theory, at least, I guess. Right. Or at least <laughs> I'm done for, with this right now. Mm -hmm. um, but without the idea of like, what is, what is, what is the whole thing going to manifest as? And I think about that, like when I'm performing dance improvisation, like, I know I'm going to be in front of people and they're going to be watching me. And usually I know at least like, oh, it should be around this length. Um, but often that's that's kind of what I know. And it's, it is, it's just that idea of one thing and oh, this is happening. And now this next thing is happening. And it's like this unfolding kind of in time. And I, I'm going to, I I had, I had written uh, or not written, but I have a a little quote from your book um, that we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but, sure. um, and I meant to like, this was totally on my mind to bring up later, but kind of what you just said made me think of this. So I'm just, I'm going to read some, some of your words back to you <laughs> for a moment, if that's not too weird. And no, it no, does, go for it. It's a it funny does experience. respond, it does respond, it does talk about dance, mm -hmm. right? Because in that context, but you wrote, to a dancer, improvisation does not mean winging it or making it up as you go along. Rather, it implies a highly refined system of communication built through specific methods of training. And I really appreciate that. Um, just, you know, being in the dance improvisation field for so long, um, people not understanding exactly what we're doing and thinking we are just kind of winging it. And it just mm -hmm. doesn't take anything. But you yeah. also kind of just talk about that in your in your studio art practice right now. Of obviously you have experience with these different mediums, and then you're kind of playing with them, but from this base of understanding them to a certain degree. Even though even while you're still discovering more about them, it's not just just throwing whatever. It's like there's techniques and history on how to build that thing. 
Absolutely, you know, very well said. And uh, I think right now I'm still, you know, in the kind of early stage of my art exploration. So my training is less than it was in dance, but very much the same, you know, the same principles apply. And the more I learn, you know, when I take a workshop or um, right now I'm taking a lot of online art courses and observing other artists, then like, oh, I, I now I understand maybe this handful of things I could try with a charcoal, right? And I'll explore all those techniques. And then that then comes into, you know, the improvisation process. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Maybe we can um, do kind of shift and think about dance a little bit because mm -hmm. th that is so much of your history. And um, you, you say so many kind of really engaging things about, especially tango. And that's a form that I'm not familiar with other than, you know, being a spectator at times and having seen you do it uh, at least a couple of times. Um, and I think to start off, like, I mean, again, you mentioned how tango is fundamentally an improvisational form. And like, there's some value um, of this idea of not knowing what's happening next. And it, it's kind of evolving again, doing one thing and then the next and the next. Um, but one of the things that like, I guess I didn't know and that I find super intriguing is the idea that tango doesn't have a basic step. Mm -hmm. And like, I think about like, you know, I've taken like, I don't know how many like salsa introductory salsa classes and every single salsa introductory <laughs> class you start with the same thing, right? Because it's like yeah. that foundation or learning the like ballroom, the box, whatever that thing. I remember mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I remember doing ballroom yeah. when I was like nine years old. My parents used to compete ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. And like, so they put my sister and I in classes and like, that's like my first image of doing this, how to do the, like the box, right? Yeah. And so this, these basic steps, but could you like, so, so how do like in Tango, how do you start like without that basic step of getting people to start doing the thing? What's, mm -hmm. could you just talk about like how you introduce people to that? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most distinctive characters, I think, of the dance, which is, you know, what made it so intriguing to me, because I also went through that pathway of learning other partner dances first. Uh, and I would say it's very much related to the music and the relationship between tango dance and music. So when we say basic step in a salsa or a swing or what have you, the basic step is tied to a specific rhythm pattern. Right. So it is quick, quick, slow, or in a waltz, it would be like one, two, three, one, two, three, or whatever it is. So it's yeah. tied to a rhythm, which is characterizing that particular form of music. But in the case of tango, dancers don't, don't dance to one rhythm pattern. They dance to anything. It, it, it's um, a form in which you can pause whenever you want. Uh, you can dance on any of the rhythms that are being played. You can dance on the phrasing of the music. There's many different ways that dancers interpret the music with their movement. And yeah. so for that reason, maybe other reasons as well, but this is one reason that we say there's no basic step in the sense that there isn't a combination of movements that go with a repeating rhythm. I see. Like yeah. there are in other dances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that means uh, at the beginning, you know, what often you learn is just to move on a downbeat on the main tempo of the song. There are lots of ways to begin. That's not, you know, the only one, but very commonly that's how you begin and how to sync up with a partner on that regular tempo. Mm -hmm. And then uh, right from the beginning, you're talking about leading and following, which is how tango dancers describe improvisation. 
right? Yeah. That would, that's how they talk about it. So the leader person is, uh, is, is tasked with deciding, you know, when we step, what the rhythms are that we're going to step on, what order the combinations of footwork go in. And there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple, I would say they're not like basic steps, but there are a couple of patterns that are part of the grammar of tango that everyone learns as common vocabulary. So the leader person is then saying, okay, we're going to use that pattern. We're going to use this one. We're going to split it in half or combine it with that other one. Uh -huh. um, so the leader is like the choreographer of the couple, you could say. And then the follower person, you know, is tasked with being able to enact those decisions one at a time, like one weight change at a time. So you're always on one foot. You're always like ready for what, what may be coming next. Mm -hmm. It's usually forward, backwards, or sideways. Um, occasionally pause, occasionally swivel. Uh, but you know, your body sort of is trained to perform in that like single moment, one movement at a time yeah. uh, order. It's yeah. a, in a nutshell, I think yeah. that's how we talk about improvisation. And so, yeah, the absence of the basic step makes those skills essential at the beginning. Right. So the, the, the listening to one another is mm -hmm. kind of the, the foundation. I mean, it's, that's obviously true in, all, in other kinds of partner dancing as well but certainly you know I've danced with people and we've been doing the the basic steps and that's real that's like we're barely listening to one another because we're just trying to concentrate on like which foot to step on and stuff like that right there's that yeah you can sort of get time to yeah get I would say you can kind of get away with not listening for snatches of time maybe yeah. in other dances and then oh we'll just come back together on the next like ball change or whatever right. um right. there's a little bit more flexibility or wiggle room whereas it with the tango if you stop listening for a moment then like, it's just literally the next step doesn't happen right um because your follower is you know the job of the follower person is to not move until there's a clear you know, indication and there's again a little bit of you know, flexibility there sure. uh, as you work together, but that's essentially the idea. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I guess the the one kind of partner dancing that I do have a lot of experience with, of course, is contact improvisation, totally. um, which is very much, I think, in some ways, very similar in mm -hmm. that there's, we, we sometimes use vocabulary to teach certain concepts, but um, the idea is not to learn a, a set of vocabulary. It's really, the, the focal point is really listening to one another and um and playing with that idea of how sensitive you can be to those kind of minute shifts and changes right in mm -hmm. in pressure in tension and release and weight um and all those kind of lead you through the dance um, as opposed to executing steps as it were yes absolutely and i think tango dancers would use a lot of that same language to describe their relationship with their partner mm -hmm. it's just that tango has a set of constraints. You have to be vertical. You have to go around a room. You know, yeah. it has it has a uh, use. Your upper bodies don't move out of their position more or less. So it has a different set of constraints um, yeah. than the contact improv. But yeah, the sensation of listening and changing tone and uh, pressure, that sort of thing, um, a lot of the same training, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, one thing that you also kind of talk about is bring up this idea of connection. And relationship mm -hmm. and that that was really i mean you even talked about how when you first started doing tango you were you were 
in Boston and that whole history of like going to do different social dances as way of meeting people and just realizing that that connection um, in tango is so deeply important um, in terms of development. And, and this idea of choosing also you bring up of choosing like choosing how to dance choosing your dance partner of course whether it's even just <laughs> on a simple fact of saying yes or no to someone if they want to dance yeah. right but this idea of choice within this context is I don't know is I don't know if there's anything more for you to say about that but it, I find it a really it's probably something really important this idea of choice for me it, it was very much so and you know I discovered tango as a you know, I was right out of college. So it was my early twenties. And I, you know, I think I was still discovering what relationship was, you know, as a human concept and sort of how I wanted to be in the world with other people. So yeah, for me, it, it really became kind of like a, a laboratory for um, understanding like who I was with other people and how my relationships with other people then influenced my own sense of myself and mm -hmm. Connection, I think, in tango comes a lot from this need to be sensitive to the other in order to improvise on such a precise level, right? When you use your body in that way, you uh, you kind of open yourself to a lot of sensation, a lot of shared uh, information, and so there's an intimacy there that um, you know I would I would call it like a human intimacy, mm -hmm. you know, not, not not necessarily a romantic one. Sure. Um, and that teaches you a lot about yourself, you know, how you respond to that sort of practice. Uh, and then that's where the choice comes in, I think. Um, and this for me sometimes resonates a little with my experience of contact improv where um, there's, a, there's a very active discussion of boundaries and personal yeah. safety and so forth. So yeah, in the tango world, you, there's a number, number of choices, right? As you said, first is just who do I want to partner with? Who do I want to be close to? And I get to choose that, right? There's a great lesson there, I think, for all of us in choosing who, you know, who we share our, our space with and our body with. And then also choosing, like, how do I want to embody this role? Like, whether I'm on the leader side or the follower side, what does that even mean to me to be in partnership um, following someone? Do I, you know, do I enter that, like, meekly sort of you know, focusing on my obedience, you know, <laughs> and where do I get that pattern from? You know, do, same thing on the leader side. Do I, you know, do I approach that with hesitation or do I approach that with creativity or, you know, am I comfortable directing someone else or am I not, you know, um, am I comfortable trusting someone else, um, supporting them, you know, as a follower, or is that hard for me? You know, all those lessons I think come into play. And for me, it, you know, it was a very rich territory. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds really rich, um, and you kind of mentioned this as this, this the idea of the the leader role and the follower role, mm -hmm. and just mentioning that I don't know if this is true in other parts of partner dancing and social dancing, but in tango, this definitely moved towards not thinking of the male role or the female role, but the leader role and the follower role, and that people can kind of play with which role they're in and and in different dances choosing um, different roles. And so just, I mean, I don't know if there's, um, how does that manifest? Like when you're out dancing, is that is that pretty mutable? Or that changes depending on what community you're in? Like what, how does that kind of, how is that in the world going out into mm -hmm. like social settings and stuff like that? Yeah, 
important question. I think it, I'm not super involved right now, you know, in yeah. Tango, um, sure. but I, I would I would say with confidence that probably there's still a larger percentage of men, uh, men identified people who prefer to lead, a larger percentage of women identified people prefer to follow, which is yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Um, it is. It has changed over the past, my 20 years of involvement uh, in tango. I was someone who was always very enthusiastic about dancing both roles and yeah. and you know making that available educationally for anyone who wanted to. So I have seen a lot of development there, a lot of more fluidity, more comfort uh, with people choosing different roles or switching. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely say it depends on the community, you know, who's, who's, uh, heading up that community, what their interests are. Yeah. So in some studios, you know, the, the teacher organizer is interested in, in sharing, uh, different roles or in teaching different roles. And so a lot of people in that community would, you know, would be drawn to it and, and do that. And then others are not. So there's definitely a spectrum out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, having read that, I just, again, I'm just going to reflect on my experience with contact improvisation where um, even leader and follower are, are, that's a little controversial, even to like label people in those roles, let alone kind of genderize them. And um, yeah, it's just, I've always thought when I've done different kinds of partner dance, I'm like, I was like, wonder what, what if this, if we could switch back and forth between these two roles, like spontaneously, continuously throughout the dance, like, you know, moment to moment, who's leading and who following, like allowing that to be morphed a little bit. Um, just wonder how that would kind of open things up, change things, you know, disrupt things, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say that in, you know, within the tango experience, you know, and we use those terms leader follower, to, you know, in a practical sense, because we're on a, a dance floor, it has to go around counterclockwise, and there's some logistical things, there needs to be someone like the leader who navigates that. Um, however, once you're actually moving with someone, it is not so clear cut in the physical experience of it. And I think that's, it's hard to appreciate that unless you're inside it. Mm -hmm. So you might you know, I might show up and I'm calling myself the follower in this partnership, but, you know, in the act of dancing, things like, you know, it is possible for me to make a sort of decision, you know, in a certain moment that would influence my partner. Likewise, yeah. my leader partner, who's officially the leader in charge of protecting us from crashing, um, you know, obviously it's possible for that person to listen to what I'm doing with my body, make a decision based on that. So, you know, there it starts to feel like, okay, these roles are not so rigid. We have them as scaffolding because that's logistically we need them for this form. But if we tried to make them like super rigid, the dance probably wouldn't work very well. You know, so there has to be a little bit of that blending as, you know, as we get going. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, in one of the other interviews I, I listened to, you talked about the shared tango body that idea yeah yeah you know and that 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 just that again that idea just resonated with me yes that kind of moment of where all of those roles kind of blend and mm -hmm. um it's like the two is is really one kind of nervous system in a way and yes it's responding mm -hmm. to itself in a way as opposed to one responding to the other or something like that yeah absolutely and i think that it, it in my experience of contact improvisation that feels like a stronger experience. Like I have that in a more overt way. Uh, one of my contact teachers used to say it's like two followers. 
yeah. following the dance, you know, um, but it does also happen within tango. And, you know, I've, I've had people say things like, oh, I, you know, how did you know to do that? Or, you know, I, it just happened. I don't know. I didn't make a conscious decision on that. It just seemed yeah. like the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so it does, that definitely does happen. And that magic of the shared nervous system where you don't know how, you know, but, yeah. but you know that, yeah, that's definitely, um, it exists for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to I want to kind of talk about this other work that you're doing and stuff like that. But um, I think I have just like one more question around specifically around tango. And maybe I'm going to like blur a couple questions together. So this may be a complicated question. I'll see if I can make it. Straight okay. <laughs> so I had I had I was I, I had a thought about like wanting to kind of ask about the difference between, you know, performing or dancing with someone for the first time and dancing with someone for the I don't know. 500th time right mm -hmm. like those differences and because to me that there's there's some really rich in say improvisationally or relationship wise in both those contexts in both those situations mm -hmm. um and then the other thing I, i'm curious about the differences perform like i keep saying performing because i'm thinking of the difference between being at like just a social event where you're going on and off the dance floor and other times when you've performed tango on the stage Mm -hmm. um, or as a demonstration or where it's clear, like, oh, people are watching Sharna as a dancer <laughs> and, 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 you know, like this is a yeah. more than just your personal enjoyment or something. So mm -hmm. I don't know th th those, those seems maybe two questions that don't fit together so well, but, um, I don't know anything in there that resonates with you or. Yeah. I mean, the, the difference that feels the biggest to me is the social versus the performance space. Yeah, that, uh, you know, the first thing I think of is the performance is so much harder <laughs> um, because there's just there's suddenly this other variable of the audience and um, and including including that. Uh, so in in a typical social dance evening, like there's there's tons of mistakes, you know, what we call, quote, mistakes and the the skilled improviser or the, the you know, the what we would hope to do as a social improviser is to just weave those into the dance and like keep going, right? So you're not so concerned about um, the visual aspect of what you're doing. Um, whereas, you know, in a performance, the visual aspect becomes more important, at least um, from, from my point of view. Yeah. Uh, and so those quote, like mistakes or un, you know, unpredictable things have like greater weight, I think. And that's why I kind of think of it as, as maybe harder and um, because the tango form is restricted in a certain way, right? Then there, there's there's some limitations in terms of how you can respond to things that happen in unpredictable fashion. <laughs> right. Um, so that sort of brings me to the second part of your question, like a new person versus a familiar person. Uh, I've I've had social experiences with both of those, and also performative experiences with both of those. And okay. by far the most terrifying is the performance with a new partner. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think not, you know, not surprisingly, those are not my favorite memories of performance. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, they were interesting, um, but I don't, I wouldn't call them like the most successful. Um, whereas like the, the new partner in a social, in a social arena is just the stakes are lower, right? Yeah. So I've had sometimes really delightful social experiences with totally, you know, with total strangers, which, you know, is kind of a thrill because you never know how that's going to go. But again, because the stakes are lower, um, it, yeah, it, it just, it just feels like the, 
there's there's less um, urgency around it or less less pressure around it. Uh, I think the you know the advantage or the benefit of dancing with a familiar partner, uh, particularly in performance, you know, is that. Uh, not that you are less spontaneous, but that you have created together like a kind of dance within the dance, perhaps, you know, even if you're still improvising, you um, like one example is uh, the, the most recent partner that I worked with, you know, before I semi-retired, semi took my sabbatical. Um, we, you know, when, when I danced with, uh, with him, I would, there's a layer of, of tango movement that's called decoration, which is not something that's led or followed, but something that you sort of add on top uh -huh. um, spontaneously to kind of accent the music. And so I had a whole repertoire of adornments, we would call them embellishments that would only occur when I danced with this partner, just because of the way he put together movements. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that kind of um, is a comfort in a way, because not, not that we're doing things by rote, but that we kind of have a rhythm together mm -hmm. that feels familiar. Um, so that, I, I think that's, you know, the great benefit of having a regular partner yeah. that you, you have a sort of comfort and uh, support as you then take your improvisation before an audience, which is like this new <laughs> variable to deal yeah, with. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I, of course, have similar experiences of, of dancing with people. And, and certainly sometimes I've been at contact improvisation jams. And, you know, you go and you end up dancing with someone and you have a great dance and you've like shared weight and rolled on one another and pushed against each other and like sunk into one another. And you're at the end of the dance, you're like, oh, what's your name? You know, you yeah. just have like really like intense physical kind of experience with one another. And it's mm -hmm. um, such a, it's just a different way of knowing the person, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and then of course, having danced with some people for for literally decades and understanding all their little quirks and, and being able to like mm -hmm. enjoy them and play with them, right? Yeah. Great. So I wanna kind of like go ahead and kind of like shift gears um, because, you know, now a lot of this, you, you know, in your book, you talk about translating a lot of these experiences into these other realms with people working as a as a coach and a consultant and stuff and and I'm excited because I've I've never had anyone on the podcast who has a book that I can be like hey you can find out more about Sharn and her work and buy this book um, and and I just I as I mentioned to you I just got it a couple of days ago so I haven't been able to read a lot of it yet but I have started reading it and I I really appreciate kind of the the relationship between leader and follower, leadership and followership, and this idea. And for many of us who work in organizations where we have multiple roles, mm -hmm. and just to be able to recognize those roles in a really tangible way, and the responsibilities with those roles is super helpful. And you've kind of named them really lovely. Um, and I don't like maybe just to start off, like you could just talk a little bit about how you see these two roles um, and their relationship. Yeah, sure. My main inspiration for writing this book was just noticing as I worked with people in office and various professional environments and just being aware, okay, outside dance, it's all about leadership, right? The, the word follower is like, a, it's either a negative or it doesn't exist. And 
you know, and at the same time, there's this big blind spot, you know, there's sort of a lot of still mystery in the working world around like, why are we losing people or why aren't they happy? Why aren't they engaged? And so I just felt like the dance world had so much wisdom to offer in naming followership as this complementary mode of being right with leadership. Uh, so often organization, there's just only one way to be good at something is by being a leader. And that just seemed like silly to me. Like, what about everybody else? You know, <laughs> like they're doing stuff too. Right. So the way I think of those roles in, you know, in a, a work environment or in a team environment is, it's not so different than I think of them in, in dance. So you have the leader, obviously, and we're used to that, but then for everything the leader is doing for the team or for the other people, there's something also being done in, in exchange, right. In reflection. So if your leader is like communicating out, you know, the plan for the week, <laughs> then at, at minimum, right, your team members are like receiving that communication. They're going to interpret it in a certain way. They're going to remember it or they're going to not pay attention. So like something needs to happen on the other side of that for, for there to be success. Right? And, and that side is in my mind equally as vital as whatever the leader is doing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sought to kind of, you know, from that base level of like communicating and understanding I, I sought to then make that follower side, right, even more complex, right, based on my experience with Tango and trying to name what else are those people doing while the leader is doing what, what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really great. And um, you kind of divide this up into kind of three kind of subcategories of connect, collaboration, co-create. And then in each of those, there's kind of these attributes and stuff like that. And I wonder, like, maybe is there one or two of these kind of attribute pairs um, that you could highlight for us? Maybe ones that particularly evolved out of the dance or not, which is two that maybe strike you? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll talk about a pair that, that tends to be, um, I wouldn't say the word popular, but it tends to catch a lot of attention. And that is, it's in the collaborate section and collaboration I see as sort of the everyday nuts and bolts of work, like how you, you know, your stuff fits with other people's stuff and like the routine timelines and, you know, like the mechanics of getting things done, just like the mechanics of, you know, dancing around the floor. Uh, you need to have a shared vocabulary, you know, see how your bodies fit together, all that stuff. Um, and so the pair that jumps out in that section for a lot of people is expectations and boundaries. Mm. And I'll just say briefly what I mean by those words, because I'm using them specifically. So the expectations I put on the leader side, and these would be things like, um, they could be like codes of conduct, or they could be like, here's what I expect everyone to get done by the end of the week. You know, they're like the big picture overview of the team. Like what, what am I putting out there for everyone to agree on? Um, parameters or variables or behaviors or, you know, other expectations. Yeah. And then the boundaries are like how the people who are impacted by that respond to those expectations, right? So, uh, and a boundary is something that keeps you individually safe, right? In this, in this sense. So the follower then says, okay, you're, you're saying you expect me to write these three chapters by Friday. Um, based on the other things I have to do, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can do two. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, the other side of that conversation is 
uh, informing whoever did, you know, wh whatever leader set the expectation is like, okay, we need to modify that expectation with this boundary because, um, or we need to eliminate something else from my uh, workload so that this can take priority. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes in an office that's called things like pushback, but, you know, I don't, not crazy about that term because really it's just, they're both serving the same end. Like we both want uh, a stable work environment. We both want healthy outcomes. And so the boundary side is like modifying in a sense, the expectation so that it's realistic. Yeah. And a boundary could be also an ethical one. You know, it could be like, you know what, this is not right. I'm, I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to make sure this, we don't go down this path, right? Which isn't safe or isn't moral. Um, so that's how I see it like a dialogue. Yeah, it's great. I love because it's, it is about like all these roles, both these roles um, have their like responsibilities to, mm -hmm. to the whole. And it's not that one is subservient to the other. They just, Correct. they just have, <clears throat> excuse me, they just have different, um, kind of avenues within the organization or within whatever. I mean, I could, I, you know, as I was reading these, I was like, oh, this could apply to a marriage. This could apply to your relationship to your kid, right? I have a 14 year old daughter who um, is very much coming into herself. And mm -hmm. the idea of leader and follower is definitely um, at times changing, right? Yeah. That she's leading yeah. the situation mm -hmm. and then I'm, following her lead mm -hmm. and so and also this idea that the roles that you may have will vary depending on the context all the time right even with Absolutely. the same person right mm -hmm. so. yeah I would give a credit to Barbara Kellerman who's another uh, leadership and followership scholar and she she's often credited with that triangle leader follower in context right uh, as a way yeah. of determining what the role should be yeah one of the other ones that I thought, one of the other kind of like sets or pairs that I thought was really interesting was imagination and bravery. Because mm -hmm. um, I love, I mean, again, for me coming, I mean, I exist in this huge bureaucracy now because I'm at a university um, and it's a whole statewide university system. So it's just layers and layers of paperwork, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. But, um, but as an artist, like those two words, those two ideas are really important, but in this context, they're really interesting. So I don't know, maybe you could say a couple words about those two and how they fit into this kind of framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I would also just uh, throw out there that I, I think sometimes we all do both of these, right? There's a sense in which we lead and follow ourselves, again, depending on the context or our, or the scope, you know, of the work. So you might feel like, well, I do both of those things. And yes, I would agree. You probably do, you know, uh, and sometimes you do them inside and sometimes you do them with other people. So yeah, imagination I put on the leader side. And uh, again, all those leader things, when I'm characterizing the leader mind or the leader role, I'm thinking of things that look outward and think of like whole teams or whole organizations or like larger visions. And so imagination is the skill of being able to imagine something you know, in the future that doesn't exist yet. Like, well, what if we could do this? Maybe we can, maybe it can be this way, or, you know, I see our organization, um, you know, growing, uh, growing into a new industry next, next year or next five years, or I imagine us creating this new product or imagine us um, offering six new courses uh, next year. So that's sort of imagination. It's like, what could be? 
And then obviously you need people to fulfill that with you, right? You're not going to do it by yourself. And so the following side of that is like, all right, how might that happen? Um, what part of that can we do next? You know, what makes sense for, you know, me, team member A, you know, to tackle? What makes sense for team member B to research? And so the bravery is like, whoa, I, that doesn't exist yet. But, you know, just like on the dance floor, my leader's like, step over here. I'm like, well, I don't know what, what's going to happen over there, but I'm going to go anyway, because, yeah. you know, I trust that your vision is going to lead us somewhere. And so that's bravery. It's like, well, we've never taught that course before, but I'm going to put it together anyway. You know, I'm going to give it, you know, use all my resources and see where it takes me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, these, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. Just this, <clears throat> these ideas around leadership and fellowship and, and how, you know, I can so easily imagine them in so many roles in my life. Mm -hmm. um, from an artist to kind of an administrator to, you know, part of a family, um, mm -hmm. to part of a community, uh, a larger community, right? Yeah. And, um, and how, even though sometimes we see frameworks like these, and, you know, you have it, you have it laid out really clearly, and there's relationships in this, knowing that it's like, much messier, and that we're all kind of, again, I'm just going to bring it back. We're mm -hmm. improvising within this structure, right? We yes, have this yeah. structure of leading and following, but we're all kind of navigating through it as a, as an improvisation and, and, and grabbing and using what we need right now. And then um, moving on to something else as, as it becomes necessary or. Yes, or to totally agree. Yeah. I would, I would never want people to receive this book as a kind of formula, right. But more as like a, a scaffolding, a framework, a guide. And um, the point is not the structure, right? The point is what comes out of your engagement with the structure. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a great quote. I'm going to just paraphrase it of, mm -hmm. um, you know, like when you, this is, I don't know, it's, it was labeled as some like kind of Zen quote or something. I don't know if it really is, but you know, once you have the fish, you can, you can forget about the fishing pole. And kind of <laughs> once you, once you have the rabbit, you can forget about the snare. And mm -hmm. once you have the meaning, you can forget about the words. Nice. And I, you know, these structures offer us a way of understanding the thing. And then we, we transcend it or when we can fully embody it you know, mm -hmm. um, that, that is when like the real dance happens. Right. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, kind of laid it out this way just for that reason. It's like to just give, give some, uh, I mean, structure is a word that's coming to mind, but like, a how, how do we get into this improvisation? Right. Yeah. We need to kind of give a couple of parameters, you know, like writing a score, you know, okay, you can yeah, stand a, stay on this side of the stage and, you know, do like three things at a time or something. Right, right, so right. it sounded like a score um, because again, what I've noticed so much in organizations that the, is that there's so much stigma on following and so much centrism around leading is that it's just hard to get there any other way. Like you, you can't like go to the end from yeah. zero right and so as a way of getting people there right to the creative dialogue it's like well what what would be like some step one and two yeah. you know and then once you're kind of on the way you can improvise your 
your partnerships, but if you're already confused, right, about like why you're not engaged or why you don't feel connected, then you need to kind of go back to yeah. those basic, uh, basic steps. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the the first quote um, or the quote that I read about like um, improvising <clears throat> isn't winging it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's knowing the material. <clears throat> excuse me. Knowing the elements, knowing the framework, knowing the structure of the thing, and and if you get lost at any point, you can always go back to those mm -hmm. to those ideas or those um, elements that support the thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, if you're dancing, if, if I'm dancing improvisationally, I can always check in with space and time and, you know, movement vocabulary to like reground myself. And, um, you know, just like you can go back to listening to music or the touch or the weight or the, the mm -hmm. more simple elements to then keep branching out. So it's like this, you know, infinity loop of of going back and forth yeah so. very well said very well said yeah i get you know and I, I know that word follower in the organizational sense isn't popular but you know what happens is people resist that and they're like well we just don't want to use the word we don't want to think about leader and follower but you know when you don't acknowledge it you're just stuck you know like then you just you can't build because you don't have those foundational tools yet so if you start yeah. there and recognize okay well you know if you're you know, with your team, like that's actually like five different individuals you're in partnership with, you know, and each of them, you know, are different and each of them like have influence as well as you. And so some of those basic, you know, tools of like connecting and just recognizing how your actions are interconnected. Yeah. Once that starts to make sense, then, you know, I don't really ultimately care if you use the word follower, but like, there has to be an awareness of that interconnection and how how people do influence one another mm -hmm. in in order to get the outcomes we want right in order to get like <clears throat> sustainability right and inclusion and you know balanced uh, workloads and people feeling that they have meaning in their work like if we want those outcomes i think this is one way to get there yeah and it, I, I mean as you're talking and kind of describing it and it, it's also not thinking of it as like a limitation or like almost not even a noun, but thinking of it as a verb. I'm yeah, following totally. right now. I'm not like a follower, like so poor me, right. I'm a follower. <laughs> like like just right now you're following, you know, yeah. the the leading of someone else and and that can change. Anyway, yeah, I, I love the verb, the love yeah. the verbs. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, um, thank you so much for taking time today to talk about all of those things. And and you know, it's it's so great to see how all of these kind of themes kind of weave through in so many ways. And you've kind of manifested these things in so many ways in your life and in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was great to kind of just hear you talk about it some more. So I really appreciate you taking the time today. Well, I really appreciate your questions. You know, it's a great, I think, example of leading and following, you know, the interview. And uh, I always appreciate a great partner. Yeah. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day, Sharna. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Sharna. I absolutely love hearing about her experience within the world of tango and how she's taking that experience and kind of translating it into such different realms. 
Um, if you want to find out more about Sharna, check out the links um, in the show notes. There's links to her stuff and some other things that we talked about. So you can just kind of find your way and, and find other ways to find out what she's doing and, and her work, which is really quite wonderful, I think. Um, if you haven't, please subscribe to Act React. You can find us on YouTube, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and even on Vimeo. So we're kind of all over the place, but subscribe so you can check out older episodes and, and hear um, the new episodes as they come available. We've got a number of new episodes coming up over the next couple of weeks, which uh, again, I'm, I'm also very excited about. So until then, please take care, be well, and live spontaneously. <laughs>